In fact, to be honest, you may be better off if you have none of those. Because that's where a lot of the indoctrination happens about what this world is and, you know, what life is and who is spiritual and who is not and all this kind of stuff. What is good? What is bad? You know, uh, sometimes if we don't have those ideas instilled in us, uh, intelligence remains high. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Boo Boo. Good to meet you here. You're a body strategist, author, and ER physician. That's amazing. Yes, mind body strategist. Yeah. Okay. That's something I coined because I didn't know how to really describe what I did and what I saw. Um, but yes, and then author of the two books you have behind you, and yes, an emergency physician. Which I briefly. I just got them, so I, I haven't read them fully, but they're they're awesome. Thank, Thank you. You. Um, you have a near death experience, which I, or near death like experience slash mystical experience. I was wondering if you'd love to yeah. touch on that because I, I, I it's profound. Yeah, I'm not sure what to call it. I didn't call it anything for probably a decade or so, and then I guess some people started asking about it, and now it all the interviews I'm, I'm talking about it. So, um, whatever it was, it, it was, it was very dramatic at the time. And also I think an important aspect of it that I think is not always brought out in the interviews is that it, it's continuing today. That's, that's really important aspect of it. It's not something that ended. Uh, there were, there was an end to certain parts of it, but it never really ended. But the short story is that I was in my room in medical school back home, actually, um, during a break and was reading something when it felt like there was an explosion that happened. And it felt like uh, I was sitting in the sun is how I describe it, uh, the best way I can describe it. And by that I mean uh, all that existed was this brilliant uh, orangish saffron blaze. And, you know, the body wasn't there and the room wasn't there and it was just this. And it was me as this, me sitting in this, me absorbed as this. And it was peaceful and it was timeless. And then at some point, uh, there was, it was almost like a completion, a sense of completion. And I was going to pass through this blaze phase, so to speak, and um, into what's next. And, uh, at that point, just as I was about to pass, um, an aspect of this blaze, um, communicated to me that this wasn't fair. <laughs> that was the sense that was communicated to me. That it's not fair that there are things, uh, remaining to do and a couple things like that. That, that sense was intimated and that gave me pause because I knew it was true. As soon as, as soon as it was communicated, it, it was so meaningful and so true that, you know, you, you cannot ignore something like that. So that gave my forward march pause. And as soon as I paused, it felt like all the things that were remaining to be done 
snapped back, like the rubber band snapped back and everything re-imploded. And, you know, here everything was the same as it was before and also totally different <laughs> than it was before. Um, it appeared as if everything were constructed out of light, that the room was constructed out of light, that the space that is often thought to be empty, empty, even though we intellectually know it's not, you could see that it was something. It was constructed out of something. Um, the same for, you know, intuition and thoughts and space and time and all these things that we talk about and experience. So that, that lasted for some time. I'm not sure what the period of time was. Uh, and then eventually I got up and uh, went to the bathroom. I think, I think it was curiosity. I'm not sure why I went, but I went into the bathroom and looked in the mirror and didn't recognize the person in the mirror. And, um, because one of the things was this person looked so pleasant and so I would say happy, like genuinely deeply happy. And I think until then, like I had been restless, I'd been looking for something and, um, Slowly, uh, thoughts started filtering in, you know, and then, and then it became clear that thoughts were, in a sense, absolutely unnecessary. I say that, um, carefully, because I think that can be easily misunderstood. Um, but, you know, in order to receive a stimulus and to respond intelligently doesn't require thought as the human body's evidence of that. We call that reflexes or the autonomic nervous system. Um, but I think that line between the autonomic and what we consider voluntary can shift. Um, and what we consider individual agency, all of these can shift. So uh, I like to say that the experience never ended, although it seems like the flashy part ended. But in fact, it didn't. It continued to wax and wane throughout and still does today. Um, and so it's just a different view of life that continues. So that's not considered a near-death experience in some people's eyes? Is that what you're saying? Right. So I actually spoke, somehow I got put in touch with the president of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And what she told me is that this is a near-death-like experience and not a near-death experience uh, because the body wasn't actually in danger of dying. So a lot of times this happens when a person is in an accident or a coma, severe infection, or a lot of stories like that, severe disease. Um, and as that person is about to leave the body or sometimes something happens, and that's called a near-death experience, and then they come back and then the body continues to live. This is near-death-like because there was no threat to the body. Um, although, like, you know, in retrospect, sometimes I think... Um, had that gone on to completion, the body would have been dead. And I like to, you know, think of all the headlines that would have been, you know, medical student overdoses on, or like medical student, you know, couldn't handle the pressures of medical, who knows like what the story would have been, you know, uh, but I like to think about that. So because the body wasn't in threat, uh, supposedly, although like I said, it absolutely was, the, bat the body would have dropped. Um, but the stimulus for the dropping of the body was not from the physical world. And so it's not a considered a near-death experience. Some people call it an STE, spiritually transformative experience. I've heard all kinds of different phrasings. Uh, I don't think it really matters what the phrasing is. Um, I think 
Um, these kinds of things happen a lot. They've happened, you know, since the dawn of human life. And they're just showing us a bigger picture than a lot of the miseducation that happens in our society. Kind of reminds me of the last part of the St. Francis prayer. It is only by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've had and, a similar experience with, as you. Okay. You want to, let's share that. Not, not as detailed as you. Yeah. But I remember being in Ohio, right? Yeah. I moved to Ohio and working in Ohio in the woods. Yeah. And there's no restroom. So I have to go to the restroom in the woods. That's where they send me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking into like a, a weed or a flower, you know, height distance. And I'm looking right in front of it. And I looked inside the flower. Next thing you know, I had an outer body experience. And um, it was like a state of pure consciousness where I didn't identify with the mind and the body. As a matter of fact, that didn't exist. And, and the conditioned mind is no longer. And I realized that I am the awareness or that consciousness behind it all, not the thoughts and the emotions itself. And for the longest, I was always so attached to that stuff. It was driving me, right? And now uh, I have a more of a, I'm living more in a state of awareness where I'm separated from it and I can make better choices, better, better decisions, less uh, reactive, uh, less ego sensitive, and I've become more life sensitive. That makes sense. And it's changed my whole life. Um, I've had a number of awakenings, like you said, and, and I appreciate you saying that because a lot of people think it's just one time event, but it's yeah. a continuous process, like a flower's continuing to open up, you know, and sometimes I have to go back in the mud. And die a little yeah. bit and, and yeah. continue to grow. Like Thich Nhat Hanh would say, no, mo no mud, no lotus. And I love that. Yes. Yes, it is a series of deaths. Um, and it's death after death after death after death. And it gets more and more beautiful with each death. And I think that's so important. You said initially a quote like something, you have to die to live or you have to die to be awake. And yeah, that's true. One is that we have to be, we have to die to all of the misconceptions that are taught in our society about birth and death, that we began with birth, that we end with death, that we no longer live after death. You know, people forget that the opposite of death is birth and the opposite of death is not life. So death does not oppose life. A person is as much alive before death as they are after death. That is one of the biggest misconceptions in our society that causes tremendous amount of suffering for families, for people at the end of life, end of life care, uh, so much there. And the other thing that your story reminded me of is that the world is, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but the world, what we call the world is fundamentally, let's call it consciousness. It is not a material thing. It is it is consciousness itself that is experienced as though material, just as it happens in a dream. And um, if that's true, that's the hypothesis that I'm offering. If that's true, then there is only consciousness in a sense, right? There are no real arguments. Like you can look at it through different philosophies, spiritualities, religions, atheism, agnosticism, direct experience, mysticism. I mean, it's all fun. They're all different views. Uh, but if that's true, um, there's no real contradiction, you know, there's nothing to fight against per se. Like, like the fights that we, that we experience are the fights that we engage in and we choose. It's not that they're fundamentally there. Um, and moreover, if consciousness is fundamental, then 
everything is a gateway, right? So people talk about how can I experience something? How can I know this, etc. And And religion and spirituality tend to direct us in certain ways. But if we play with this hypothesis first, that consciousness is fundamental and therefore it is what it is, then everything is a gateway. It doesn't have to be something spiritual. It doesn't have to be something religious. You know, it doesn't have to be, it can be anything. Um, and, and that's what I think classically religious and spiritual people maybe don't want to say or, you know, don't want to, don't want to venture into that because then spirituality also kind of becomes something special. You know, you mentioned a flower. Your portal was a flower, you know, and it can be the geometry of the flower, which is stunning. It can be the, the color, the frequency of the flower, which is also stunning. You know, it can be how it grows from the soil and, and what that represents. It can be so many things, right? And none of these, uh, I'm intellectualizing it at, in English as a conceptual story, but that when it's experienced, it's none of those things. It's just, it's just, it's just beauty and depth and connection. So that's, that's one thing that's important to know is that everything is a gateway. Everything. There's no, in that sense, there's no good and bad, although good and bad are useful in our daily lives. So it's all beyond belief. It's, it's, it's so far beyond belief. It has nothing to do with belief. Belief is a tool that we can use, you know, for the human mind to linearly traverse a certain path. But belief by itself is not needed. In fact, many people don't believe at all. But when you're gripped by reality, and your eyes are opened, <laughs> it's not about thought. Yeah, Gandhi once said, uh, in heaven, there is no religion. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your book, um, Is This a Dream? Um, a lot of my listeners probably never heard of your book and will probably get it. Um, I've already talked to a few people that are buying it, which is right in back of me. Would you like to walk us through that a little bit? To give us a little broader or better understanding. Yeah, I don't know how much I remember of it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> no problem. But um, I, I think it was written as it's it's a relatively short book. Um, but I kind of replied to myself a lot of the questions uh, that either I had or people had asked me that I felt were not clear in the classically spiritual path. You know, that I think we use a lot of words, consciousness, enlightenment, ego, uh, I don't know, those are some of the popular ones, but there are a lot of popular words, karma and, and so on, um, that have become standardized, which I think is good because it, it allows people to dissect it and, and dive into it more and more. Uh, but I don't, I don't feel like had clear kind of indicators, um, in, in a lot of, a lot of what I saw. And I also happen to be exposed to Advaita Vedanta, uh, the philosophy of non-duality, since I was in elementary school. I was heavily steeped in it, was surrounded by people who were exploring it, who had dedicated their lives to it. And so I was fortunate to have a different perspective than, than, you know, many, many of the writings that I've seen about somebody who's experienced something and wrote something about spirituality or so on. So it, it was kind of to, reconcile all that and put that somewhere on record, you know, for anyone who's at that juncture. I think that was the kind of spirit of the book. And also in a sense, to some extent, to also leave it behind and move on. You know, and I think that's part of why I don't necessarily remember a lot of it. Anything you say, I'm sure I'll remember it and I can comment on it. But um, it was also 
to move on, to move on from some of those ideas and the experiences that are, that can be described in that way. Hmm. I heard you talk about UAPs or UFOs. What do you believe yeah. about UFOs or what, were you shown anything when you had that experience? Yeah. yeah. Um, I won't tell you what I believe. I'll tell you what I experience. Um, awesome. So, uh, yes, I have seen UAPs um, once when I was outside, for example. So I should say that when this happens, when the mind opens, which is my probably favorite way of describing what happens is the opening of the mind, the opening of the heart, the opening of the human personality um, to recognizing more of the full human being that all of us are. Nobody is nobody's special in that way here. We're all special in, in our unique expressions, but nobody's fundamentally special in their constitution or in their capacity. Um, and so um, when, when that opening happens, um, you, you can't be like delusions starts to fall away. Mm-hmm. And there are many delusions in our society, usually that are taught, you know, through education and even religion and spirituality and so on. So um, I think when that happens, perception opens up. So I, I was very much uh, living in what I would call multiple dimensions, right? So this is one slice of space and time that, that we're calling planet Earth and 2023 and, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, but there are infinite dimensions and slices and timelines and so on. And so... Uh, one of the things I experienced was uh, life on what we would call other planets. Um, and, uh, you know, just beautiful structures, beautiful buildings, um, you know, uh, beautiful energy, uh, lightful places, uh, other, other beings, you know, other um, anatomy, different kinds of anatomy, uh, all kinds of things. Um, and... And this gets into, you know, we can go <laughs> endless connections with this, but uh, uh, let me stop with that. But so that was my experience. And um, seeing this as something different went away. You know, seeing this, what we would call this physical life, you know, for Anoop sitting here talking to Boo Boo and the background and what we call the physical world and that being quote unquote real and everything else being uh, imagination or vision or hallucination or dream that nonsense started to go away because the boundaries between all of this just started to evaporate and it became one seamless tapestry. And all it is, is where does the focus of attention go? Hmm. Then that dimension becomes vivid and comes into experience. You know, it, it is just uh, an infinite vivid masterpiece of possibility and expression that has no limitation in space or time. These are all human homo sapien ideas and cultural ideas about space and time. There's absolutely no limitation as to what we are. We're, we're not even human beings in our, in our entirety, in our fullness, right? A human is a form that we take, not just a noop or boo boo, but even hum, human is a form. And there's being itself, which is far beyond human. So in experiencing this, I came to see that oh, there's life on many planets. Um, and then, uh, sometimes I would, you know, when I go outside, I would get a message, look up. And I, one time I looked up and there was this huge, this was in Vermont, I believe. 
huge light, what would you call it? A sphere, not a sphere, kind of a flat ovoid, brilliant light um, that as soon as you experienced it, it was healing. You felt the healing energy pass through the entire body. And again, a side note that space and time are structured in such a way that everything is always accessible. So that experience is still ongoing now, you know, in a way in, 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 it's recorded here somewhere and is accessible again in some way. So all of these kinds of experiences and also even like experience of so-called alien abduction, you know, experience of like being taken, I had that experience also. And so there, there are all kinds of things happening. Um, and generally, you know, all this kind of stuff is tamped down. You're not supposed to think about it. If you think about it, you're not rational. You know, you're not sticking within the materialist framework, linear space time, you know, birth and death is the end all be all follow your religion. You know, anything that goes out of this is, is considered, um, dangerous or a threat to the kind of the structures in society. So it's, it's generally talked down, but the fact is this is the reality. This is where joy lives. This is where, this is where possibility lives. This is where all the answers are to everything that every human being is seeking. Thank you. Yeah. I recently had Natasha Venter on and she's a psychic medium. And I asked her a similar question and I asked her, uh, what was the purpose of reincarnation and can we bring stuff from past lives into the present, like trauma. Yeah, it's it's not even can we, it's how can we not. You know, it it's um, how would I say this? It, it's like let's say I were making a salad and I had a, a big cucumber and I sliced some of that into a salad, right? And then and then somebody ate the salad and say, oh, this is a delicious cucumber or a delicious salad, you know. I like to have another salad. Now, I have the same cucumber that I took the initial slices from, right? Now, I cut some new slices of cucumber from that same large cucumber in the new salad. And somebody says, well, this cucumber is amazing too. You know, the first one was amazing. This is amazing too. How is that possible? Well, we'd say, of course it's possible. It's the same cucumber. Like you're, you're eating the same thing in a different bowl in a different form. And it, that's the same thing that's happening now, you know. What we see as a physical body and as a personality and as a mind, a local mind, is a fraction of what we are. Only a fraction of what we are expresses in a lifetime. The vast majority of what we are is is here outside this perceptual domain, which is what we call outside of the lifetime, right? What we call a lifetime is a space-time domain. Outside of this domain is what where most of us is, most of what we are is, and we project an aspect of us with a certain kind of experience, a certain kind of proclivity into that environment in which certain things can be experienced. You know, so of course we carry things from other lifetimes. You know, of course, that's the whole purpose in a sense, you could say. You know, it, it comes in for an experience and whatever is not reconciled, that goes somewhere else and you have another experience. And, you know, there are even, there are people who do this healings. I think there's a psychiatrist named, I think his name is Brian Weiss, I believe who does, who helps people 
heal, nothing works for them until this paradigm of another life, previous lifetime, then they access all kinds of things and they heal from all kinds of conditions, you know? So I think this has to be a standard understanding in society. This is not spirituality. This is not religion. This is not philosophy. This is the reality of your life that you have lived many lifetimes and you will live more lifetimes, whether it's with this body or another dense body or not is a different question. But there is no death. There's no ending or stopping per se. There's only changing forms. You mentioned in your book, loves is at the root of who we really are. Yeah. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? To me, for me, love is what keeps me here. You know, so I happen to be an emergency physician. And for me, being in the ER and seeing that suffering is it's challenging. I feel that pain, you know, and at the same time, because I feel that pain, it brings out the love even more mm -hmm. and it keeps me here to do the work that I'm doing, you know, otherwise, and you know, the love for my family members, the love for my community, uh, the love for my fellow colleagues, you know, who also suffer so much. The physician suicide rate in the U S is twice that of the general population. Think about that. Physicians are killing themselves at two times the rate of non-physicians in the United States. That is the state of healthcare today. That is one of the most damning statistics in healthcare that's never talked about. You know, and then we do online modules for wellness and all this kind of stuff. And so often just like misses the mark on, on what is real and what is needed. And so that love for others and what's happening is what keeps me here and keeps me doing what I do. And I think that kind of love that is shared with others comes from a deeper place. As we said before, if the hypothesis is that consciousness is fundamental, then, then everything is one, right? Or everything is not two. Everything is, there's no fundamental separation. There's only superimposition of separation. And so when separation is superimposed, a great example is right here, right? We have two screens and there's a boundary superimposed in between, right? So it looks like two separate screens, but my screen is just one, right? But we don't see that. We see two things. We see two space-time locations, but it's actually one. And on that is superimposed duality, this duality. And it's like that for everything, for every boundary you see, whether it's physical, mental, you know, intuitional, anything. Um, it is a superimposition in this infinite sphere of intelligence. And so when that's the case, the experience, when one is aware of that unity and when one is expressing through the apparent multiplicity, when those two are held together, that feeling is love. Because you are aware of the unity as you are aware of the multiplicity. And then there's this, uh, what do you, cycle then I think of love that keeps coming up. If it's just a multiplicity, then you can kind of get detached or you can, you get lost in that multiplicity, mm. right? If it's just the unity, then it's at some point, it's not even just love. It's just something beyond that. It is existence itself. But when these two are there together, there's this churning of love. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, um, I think that's the purpose of me creating this podcast. It's hard to not tap into our true self 
and realize, you know, and be in harmony with the oneness of life, be more in harmony and not want to make change, not want to help prevent suffering, for unnecessary suffering and ignorance uh, with the world around us. So try to be more in the solution. And, you know, if this is a dream, why not create a happy dream versus a nightmare? Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. And we have the abilities that we have. So well, let's use it. Let's live it out. You know, health revolution. How'd you come about creating that? And what are the three minds you teach? Cause I'm very okay. interested in taking your courses. Okay. So let me start with the three minds. The three minds uh, basically came as a result of this, this experience and wanting to communicate it and not finding an adequate language. And so um, what I say in the three minds is that consciousness is fundamental. That's a hypothesis. And that this consciousness can be experienced through three different configurations of identity. And so what I'm saying is that the world looks the way it looks to anyone because of the way identity is configured. Okay. And, and, and these three configurations are as follows. The first mind configuration is that of localized identity. All right. So it is when the experience is that I am this thing. And that thing can be this body, this mind, this personality, this thought, whatever it is, anything that can be localized and distinctly indicated. Taking oneself to be that is the first mind condition. And in that condition, because everything is consciousness, is the hypothesis, when there is localization and a sense of boundary that, that happens, then that is also reflected everywhere. It's not just in one place. And so to the extent that one experiences oneself as localized and distinct to that extent, one experiences a world of localization and distinction. This space is different than that space. This time is different from that time. This laptop is different from the space next to it, right? This finger is different from this finger. Everything is different, 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 different because the state of boundedness, the state of the boundary, the existence of the boundary is what is the sine qua non of the first mind condition. And this is the standard condition in society. Usually, at least in public society, people experience differently, of course, but that which is talked about, that which is taught as science, that which is taught as, you know, understanding the world, all this is the first mind condition predominantly. And this also is why we see a lot of suffering, right? The more things are restricted, boundary of a lifetime, boundary of an individual, boundary of a personality, you know, and, and pinned on one thing rather than on the interconnection and on the, the widespread, let's say, seamlessness of things, uh, the more disease will be experienced because it is running contrary to a fundamental reality. Mm. So this is the first mind condition. The second mind condition is the experience that what I am fundamentally is not localized, or to put it in a positive way, what I am is infinite. Yeah. And this, what does this mean? This means that the experience of being localized in one place is not primary. That has been released. And instead, the experience is of boundlessness and seamlessness. And appearing in that is a series of wavy boundaries, let's say, a series of localizing. So it's not that things are localized with a D at the end, but it's that things are always localizing. So the laptop is kind of like a form of energy that is in a state of existence 
with me, with you, with everything that it is interacting with, and so on with the whole world. And so with this, there's a tremendous release of tension in the human system. There's a tremendous feeling of ease that comes with this. Uh, and there's the release of all kinds of delusions uh, that are part of the standard narrative in society. This is the second mind condition. And by the way, there are no hard lines between these. I'm just describing general ranges, hmm. right? And then the third mind condition is simply that of pure potential. So it is this, the third mind, that can express as the localizing slash non-local second mind and as the localized first mind, right? So it's different levels of crystallization or different levels of distillation of potential that is experienced as a world, a dimension, worlds, lifetimes, things, objects, and so forth. And the power of this is to recognize this. I mean, this covers everything. This covers anything that a human could possibly do and understand about the world, you know, or about the universe. I mean, it's a framework I'm saying for doing that. And the beautiful thing is you don't need any education for this. You don't, you don't need an MD, a PhD. You don't need a bachelor's. You don't need high school. In fact, to be honest, you may be better off if you have none of those <laughs> because that's where a lot of the indoctrination happens about what this world is and, you know, what life is and who is spiritual and who is not and all this kind of stuff. What is good? What is bad? You know, uh, sometimes if we don't have those ideas instilled in us, uh, intelligence remains high. But as soon as those come in, you get a kind of warped or a very defined kind of intelligence uh, rather than that natural genius that everybody has. So these are the three minds. Um, from the health revolution, the reason health revolution came about is because I had been communicating for several years about all kinds of things, you know, including at some point the three minds. Uh, but then I hadn't fully connected it with being an ER doctor. And, and with my patients that I was seeing, I have so many stories from the ER, you know, that, that I have. I'll tell you one really quickly is when uh, one of my patients in residency, so I'm in training and I think I'm in my third or fourth year of, of training after medical school in, in the ER now. And one of my patients said, so are you going to stay here after you're done? This is in Philadelphia. Are you going to stay here when you're done or? And I said, well, you know, I'll probably move away, probably move back, you know, closer to where I was before. And then she's like, yeah, you all leave after you train, you all leave us, hmm. you know, and, and that, that part of the city was very rough. There was a lot of violence, you know, there was a lot of uh, poverty and uh, she was right. You know, she hit me like a ton of bricks with that truth. She said, yeah, you come here. And she said, like, you practice on us. That's what she said. You basically practice on us. You get your skills. You get your salary, you get your money, you get your prestige, and then you leave. Like, damn, that's so true. You know, like, how can you argue with that? If you have, if you have any like heart and openness, you just say guilty, you know, uh, and that's what I felt. And, um, things like that, many things like that happened. And so, and, and I felt like I wasn't being true to that. You know, I, I still hadn't, even though, even though I had come back, so to speak, with the body, I still hadn't fully come back, you know? Um, and so health revolution, I said, I, I need to put this in terms of healthcare and health and diseases and diagnoses and treatments 
and speak the language of healthcare as much as I can. You know, I can't only speak that language. I just can't do it anymore. I, I need to speak much more expansively and talk about all kinds of things, including UAPs and consciousness and all kinds of stuff. But to me, that's what health is. Health begins with nutrition of the mind, you know, which is telling the truth about what's happening in this world. Truth heals. Truth heals. And so to, to bring this to the world and to, to keep myself honest, um, I had this idea. I was like, I have to start this thing. I have to start something like a school or something like a something. And, um, at that time, um, Srisha, who is now my co-founder, she had watched one of my interviews and contacted me because she had some questions. And then I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll answer your questions and you help me do this. She said, deal. So, <laughs> so we started Health Revolution together. Our mission is to shift the state of society from disease to healing. And we see a world where everyone is expressing their potential, developing and expressing their potential. Health to us is the expression of human potential, period. Nothing less than that. I will not give health over to some, you know, small definition that keeps people small about the way the body is or even the way the mind is or something like that. No, it is the expression of your potential and healing is the development of that potential. So this is why we set up Health Revolution. We talk about the four engines of nutrition, movement, connection and rest that are the pathways to healing for all people in all times. It is these four things, nutrition, movement, connection, and rest across the mind and body. You can check that out in the Jumpstart course, which I'm sure you'll talk about. Um, but that is Health Revolution in a nutshell. I appreciate that. I'm excited to, to look into it and join it. Um, being a physician, I would love to ask you a question. Uh, as an ex-alcoholic, um, do you see our system or do you link a lot of modern sciences like Gabor Mate is talking a lot about trauma, mm -hmm. linking trauma with addiction and, and other diseases and it, because it becomes trapped. All that stuff becomes trapped inside of us and we look for relief. And through that repetition, it becomes, you know, habitualized, right? Um, how can we prevent addiction and, and other diseases as individuals and at a collective level? to promote more health and, yeah. and wholeness. Cause I love how you, in your book, you mentioned you the word healing derives from the word whole and trauma yeah. is a loss of self as uh, Dr. Peter Levine likes to say, it, yeah. it's the loss of self and recovery is to regain, to get yes. back. Yeah. And, and that's everything, right? That's what we talked about as the first mind versus the second mind about the, the whole and the part about a trauma kind of, you know, creating a divide um, within a being. And that's what education does. Most of education in the world, not just that East-West divide is, is lessening and lessening, you know. Mm -hmm. Most education all around the world divides the human being um, and doesn't show them much of what they are. And so education is fundamentally traumatic in most cases, and most people don't realize that. We think we're getting smarter, but in many cases we're getting less intelligent the more we learn. Um, though we might get the awards and the salary and all that, but the actual native intelligence is actually diminishing. Um, so in terms of what we can do, I mean, nothing fancy. The biggest thing is learn to see ourselves and other people more completely and learn to express and show ourselves and other people 
more completely. You know, that it's okay to be the whole person, to show the whole person. You know, one thing uh, I tell my son now, who's 12 years old, and I said, you know, if you're angry or you're feeling angsty or something, you know, about what's happening at school or world, I said, good. That is exactly how you should feel. Because if you don't feel that, there's something like our society is doing a lot of things that are harming people. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of suffering, you know? So that just means that you are feeling the things that are happening, right? So now let's talk about what is true, what is happening in society, and how do we change this together? You know, those are the kinds of conversations I try to have with him rather than saying, don't be angry, you know, you know, be happy, you know, meditate that away, or, you know, no, it's not about that. Like, look at what's happening. You have very good reason to feel the way you feel. And, and we don't do that with people. You know, if I am uncomfortable with a part of myself, I am uncomfortable with that in the next person. And I don't want to see it in them. And I don't want to see them express it. And I don't want them to cry then. Right? So, oh, don't cry. We tell all babies, don't cry. You know, wipe their eyes. No, we shouldn't do that. We should say thank you for showing us what is happening and for what we are not willing to face as adults. That is how we heal trauma. Mm. That is how we create a space where trauma doesn't happen. Yep. Dr. Peter Levine has a book called Trauma Proofing Your Kids. And when I first read that, I started crying because I didn't know how to be a parent, you know, and and I don't have to blame my parents either because we only know what we know and we don't yeah. know what we don't know. And I was like unconscious of certain things and masculinity and how much that affected me or not being able to process or communicate or cope with have the coping skills to deal with certain events that were happening that may be hurtful to me. And if I push that stuff down, it only creates some type of disease or some kind of disunity within myself later down the line. And then I look for stuff to, to feel, get out of self. Right. Yeah. And, um, I was so unaware of that. And, and I started to realize like how many millions of people are so unaware of that, just like me. And I, so I love when people like yourself and professionals like yourself and just great minds and loving hearts that, uh, really just, talk about that stuff and say it's okay to feel it's okay to cry you know i always thought you know big be a big boy don't be a little girl don't cry and that hurts people not knowing that yeah (laughs) i think i think feeling and seeing are the original intelligence you know feeling and seeing are are aspects of of themselves are aspects of the same thing of the same intelligence right of the same presence um and like Thinking comes way, way down the line and is subject to all kinds of stuff, you know, but like the original intelligence is that feeling, seeing intelligence. And I think, and and we don't learn that, you know, what we learn is that concepts and things like that are what is intelligent and what gets you ahead in society. Um, So yes, I think that is essential to kind of put that out there. And especially, as you said, um, for doctors or people with degrees, people with positions of authority, usually these are people that have valued thought and brought thought out. And thought is, is, is also important when it's aligned with the greater human being, you know? And that's, that's a process that keeps going on. You know, I was talking to my wife about this recently. It's something that is still happening with me and will happen with me throughout this lifetime and beyond. It's a continuing alignment and adjusting in relationship with what is happening around us. Yeah, Tupac once said, uh, let's change the way we live, let's change the way we eat, and let's change the way we treat each other. The old way isn't working, and it's up to us to do what we got to do to survive. 
How would you elaborate on that? I wouldn't elaborate on that. That's perfect. It's complete. (laughs) Perfect answer. Um, Any last words you would like to talk about? I would just say that we are all infinite beings. And we have infinite access and we have infinite potential. And that's, this is a time in this planet, in the evolution of this planet, where we're seeing that more and more. We're seeing both the expression of that more and more and the desire to see that more and more, either through mystical experiences or psychedelic experiences or, you know, all kinds of stuff, or the desire to create AI and see how amazing AI could be, you know, this desire to know ourselves through AI. It's all like symbols of this, you know, uh, and at the same time, the, the suppression of that, the, the not knowing of that, the subconscious aspect of that, that also is the polarity, you know, that, so there's this kind of juxtaposition, this back and forth, like this is that time you can look at the news, you can look at current events and you can see all of this happening. And there are many ways we can take this, but I say the way to take this is to see that we are infinite beings, that this truth is coming to the surface and that nothing can stop us when we see this and access this and claim what is our own nature. I love that. I've heard you talk about AI and a lot of people are worried about AI. They're worried about what's going to happen. Are we going to lose jobs and et cetera, et cetera. No one knows what to expect. Some people are excited, but you also talk about NI really quick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, frankly, I think a lot of those things are going to happen uh, with AI. There's so much to say about it, but I'll just talk about NI, which is that AI comes from NI. NI is natural intelligence and nobody seems to care about NI, right? We're all so fascinated with AI, but we forget that we came up with it. So which intelligence is greater? The intelligence that was created or the creator of that intelligence, right? Another similar question, which is greater? Yours or my intelligence as individuals or whatever the heck this universe is or where this universe comes from? Obviously that intelligence is greater than us as individuals. And in the exact same way, which is greater, AI or NI? It is NI. There is no doubt about it. But because of a lot of the misconceptions and various reasons, we access only a fraction of NI. And even with that fraction, we create something as powerful as AI. And frankly, with with a lot of problematic potential as AI, because we don't know what we're doing, actually. We don't know where AI AI is coming from. It's coming from our desire to know ourselves. And it's like, what can I create? What can I do? How how amazing can I, you know, what all can I do? How can I take over this and that? Because why? Because there's a fundamental lack in that intelligence that's creating it. It It does not recognize itself in its full potential, in which case... It wouldn't need to create AI because its natural intelligence could make all the things happen that we want to make happen with AI without the side effects. Mm. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Talk to you soon.